Well, um, if you've been with us these past few months, you know that we have been focusing this year on, I guess, the, the way in which the Holy Spirit empowers us. And really, our inspiration is a verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 21, which says that man moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And since the beginning of January, we've been looking at different aspects of ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us. And our focus this month is on the Holy Spirit and the gospel, the good news about Jesus. On the one hand, it's a very simple message. It's about the fact that God loves us, that mankind are sinful, that we have uh, put a barrier between us and God. It's about Jesus' sacrifice, removing that barrier, and us needing to accept that. So on the one hand, it's a simple message, but within that, there are so many incredible and exciting aspects um, that, that make a difference. Actually, that when we, we grasp hold of them, they make a difference to how we live. So last week, Pastor Clive was talking about the gospel, the good news, and he was making it clear that actually, if we want to see the right results in our life, we need to make sure we've appreciated and understood the right message. The right message leads to right results. Wrong thinking leads to wrong actions and wrong results. So we are starting this Spirit and the Gospel series this morning. And I want to read a couple of verses from First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. So from the book of Peter towards the end of the New Testament. And the verse is going to appear on the screen there. So First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let me read that again. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I want to thank you. Your word is powerful. Thank you. Your word accomplishes your purposes. Thank you. Your word can get under and over and through our defenses. Your word can break through the hardest of hearts. And Lord, this morning, we want to invite you by your word to speak into our lives. We want to pray, Lord, that you would help us understand the truth, that we would get the right message so our thinking would be renewed and changed so that our lives would be transformed by the knowledge of the truth and Lord that we would see the right results your word would bear fruit in our lives so we ask for your help we pray Holy Spirit you speak the word to us this morning in Jesus name amen amen so um, this morning we're looking at these couple of verses from the book of Peter and uh, Peter, one of Jesus' followers. And actually, uh, Peter's two letters, First Peter and Second Peter, are full of truth about what Jesus did on the cross. And sometimes when kind of think about, oh, I'm going to you know, preach about the gospel, it, there's a tendency to look at the Apostle Paul, look at something like the book of Romans, which is you know, full of theology. You can't move for the theology in, in, Paul's, in Paul's writings and in the 
um, the book of Romans. But actually, a book like Peter is fantastic because it, it, it's equally full of the truth about what the gospel says and the implications of what Christ has done on our lives. But Peter very much, uh, kind of, for Peter, it's very much in the foundations. You know, with Paul, it might be kind of there written on the walls, but for Peter, it's in the foundations. So he says, you know, live like this, not like this, because of this incredible fundamental truth. So even here in verse 18, it actually follows on from verse 17. So in the original uh, manuscript, there's no, there's no full stop. There's no change of sentence. So what he's saying is, in verse 17, call on a father. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear, knowing that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life but with the precious blood of Christ. In other words, so live in this way, live like strangers in the world, live as people who are different. And there's a motivation there because of God being our father, but there's a, a way in which we can do it because we've been purchased by Christ's blood. So the, the book of Peter is full of this kind of uh, pastoral theology that makes a difference to our lives. And Peter is writing to a group of people, to a church, who are being persecuted. They are coming under attack because they are Christians, because they are different to the people around them. And it's getting so bad, they are just thinking, well, you know, what is the point of this? This is not going well for me. You know, I would be better off if I was just like everyone else. At least then I wouldn't be suffering this kind of persecution. And Peter writes to them to encourage them to stand firm. And these verses here undergird the spiritual truths, why they can do that, why they should, and why they can. Because right results follow from the right message. That's what Peter would say. Act a certain way because of the reality of who you are and what Christ has done. And uh, the Bible uses a number of words and a number of concepts really to explore the, the gospel, the good news, to try to communicate just how big it is. So Paul talks about the um, grasping how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's big, isn't it? High and wide and deep and long. That's big. And so there are a number of kind of aspects behind this, this gospel, this good news about Jesus. And this morning, I'm just going to kind of unpack just one of them. And it's the word redemption. It's the word redemption. We're looking at God's redemption this morning. And looking at it in three aspects, the process of redemption, the price of redemption, and the power of redemption. So Peter, in these verses, these two verses, talks about the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. So this is how Peter talks about life apart from God. He says it is empty. It's empty. Now, I suspect most of us have, you know, had days where we kind of look back on a day and think, I, that was a completely wasted day. Do you ever have like evenings? Sometimes I have evenings where I, you know, I've got to achieve something. I've got to, you know, write this. I've got to prepare this. I've got to do this. I've got to send all these emails. And then I just faff. You know, I can find lots of things to do other than the thing that I have to do. And you get in and you think, oh, I feel so frustrated. What a, you know, what a waste. Well, you know, it's bad enough when we do that for an evening or a day. But here Peter says that your whole way of life is empty, is 
meaningless. You know, can you imagine that as a judgment on your life, you know, to see on a gravestone, he did nothing really, you know, or, you know, he came, he saw, he kind of mooched around a bit and then he went away again. Nothing was accomplished for our life to be completely empty and meaningless. There are lots of people today who keep themselves busy to not be confronted with the essential meaninglessness of life, but actually you can be as busy, you could fill every hour of the day without actually your life meaning anything or counting for anything. And really what it reflects is life is about so much more than, you know, flesh and blood or about activity. You know, we can get trapped in this cycle where, you know, we go to work to earn the money, to buy some food, to give us strength, so we can go to work, to earn some money, to buy some food, to give us strength, so we can go to work. And just in this kind of cycle, and at the end of it, what have we got to show for it? Nothing. Life is about so much more. So Peter is talking about this empty way of life. And he says the reason it's empty is because it has been handed down from men and not from God. It is generational. It's been inherited from those who went before. And this is not Peter casting aspersions on, you know, your mom or your dad or anything like that. But I suppose it reflects the fact that, you know, all family trees, can you can keep on going back, can't you? And the, the, the New Testament basically says, well, your, your lineage, your family tree can go back to one of two sources, either Adam, the first man, or Christ. It can either go back to Adam or to Christ. So in a human sense, you know, we can all be part of the line of Adam, that kind of meaningless way of living, or we can be part of Christ. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. So Adam, the first man, was given the opportunity to be in this incredible, fruitful, multiplying relationship with God. And essentially, what he did was, I'm going to do what seems right in my eyes. God gave him the opportunity to walk with God and to, you know, for God to reveal his very best for Adam. And Adam said, thanks, Lord. I think I've got this covered. I know what to do. And this, this kind of attitude, I know best, is at the heart of what the Bible calls sin. And it is what leads to an empty way of life. For Adam, the, the promise of fruitfulness and abundance was turned into thistles and thorn and toil and frustration. And so the line of Adam leads to death. It leads to frustration. But the opportunity that we're going to talk about in Christ is about having a different line of being part of a different genealogy. So I think Peter, in talking about an empty way of life, it's quite a subtle description of mankind's problem, really. Elsewhere in the Bible, we can read about it in kind of more stark terms. So, for example, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 that those who are not in Christ are in slavery to sin. Jesus himself said the same thing in John 8, 34. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So it's possible even to know the right thing to do, but just doesn't seem able to do it. Has anyone been in that situation? I know what I should do and what I really want to do, and yet I keep finding myself doing the wrong thing. When you are in this mentality of I know best, it's very hard 
to change. We're in a way of living that we can't get out of. And this is really where the importance of the concept of redemption comes in. Because a redemption essentially means buying back. It means buying back. It could be about redeeming something that has been um, pawned, that, you know, you take something to a pawn shop and then you can buy it back, or, you know, to, to kind of buy back something that somebody's had to sell because of poverty. So we see this in the Old Testament. For example, the Old Testament law, the book of Leviticus, talks about if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So this idea of buying back. But there's kind of more to it than just kind of um, buying back some land. It also describes paying the ransom for prisoners of war. It's one of the ways in which the word is used. Or about purchasing the freedom of a slave. Jesus uses a version of the word in uh, Mark's gospel. In Mark 10.45, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So this idea of ransom, of buying back, of paying the price. What Peter is saying is, this is what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. He paid the price to buy us out of slavery to sin so that we don't have to be a slave anymore. There we are stuck in the line of Adam and Christ has paid the price to buy us out of it. You know, like ending a contract when, you know, you want to change your mobile phone or something, but the the contract's not up yet. You have to kind of pay up the rest of the contract before you can change. You know, we need somebody to pay that price for us. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he, this is talking about Jesus, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption. So that is the process of redemption, being bought out of this old way of living and being purchased by Christ to be free from that. Then we come on to the price of redemption because redemption requires the payment of a price. And we're not talking about just buying some kind of family heirloom we've taken to the the pawn shop or a, a pocket watch. Talking about the payment for eternal life. That requires an incredible price. And so Peter says, you know, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's be quite clear here. We, humanity, are unable to save ourselves. You know, our whole problem is I know best. And the result shows we clearly don't know what is best. So we need some help. None of us are able to pay the price. All that the world can offer, silver and gold, are not enough. They are perishable. They are of this world. They are of the line of Adam, not of Christ. Instead, Jesus buys us back with his blood. It's described as precious in God's sight. You know, in this world, things like gold and silver are considered valuable. But God pays his blood for us. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So when Jesus died on a cross, he shed his blood. Now, the the shedding of Christ's blood is about so much more than him dying. And if you've been around, you've probably heard us speak about that before. 
um, about the significance and the spiritual power of the blood. I haven't got time to go into that. But I suppose one aspect of the fact that Jesus shed his blood is it kind of reminds us of his humanity, that though he was God, he was also a man. And for Jesus to be our redeemer, it was necessary to become um, like us. So it says in Hebrews chapter 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus kind of broke into the line of Adam. He became a man so that he could release us, so he could, you know, create a a bridge, as it were, so that we could escape that line. But it's really important that we don't just view what Jesus did as a a transaction, like buying a field or going into a pawn shop. One of the the kind of great things about about the the Bible is just about how you see God's unfolding kind of revelation throughout the Bible. And so this word redemption and redeemer that we read about in the New Testament where it talks about Jesus, actually there's a rich history of it through the Old Testament. And so when we should read about Jesus being a redeemer, if we've kind of read the Old Testament, what's gone before, it should kind of feed into this kind of concept and this idea of, I know what that means and the richness of it. So, for example, um, although in like Leviticus we kind of read about things like buying back a field being redemption, that we also read about God's redemption being personal and passionate. So, for example, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament is all about redemption. It's all about redemption. It's about, um, you know, a man, set set in the context of of a man kind of buying a field in some respects, but essentially it is a love story because this man is not just interested in the field, he's interested in the woman that comes with that field. So redemption is not just about some sort of transaction, it's part of a bigger thing. I think it's seen even more dramatically in uh, the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, who's one of the prophets, and... uh, you know, the prophets often, God asked them to go and speak to the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, to reveal kind of the, the truth of, of his word and how they were responding to it. And God asks Hosea to do this in a very visible way. So he's, he asks him to go and marry a prostitute and to reflect really what, what kind of Israel's attitude to God has been. And so Hosea does this. He goes and he marries a prostitute. And then lo and behold, the prostitute leaves him and gets shacked up with some other guy. And then she falls into poverty and eventually becomes a slave. And God says to Hosea, right, I want you to go and redeem her. I want you to go and buy back. She's your wife, you know, she's yours, but you need to go and pay that price. And so Hosea goes and he pays silver and he pays grain and he buys her back. He pays good money for you know, it's a bit harsh, but for bad produce, he pays good money for this unfaithful, cheating woman. And so when we come to the New Testament and understanding about redemption, all of this richness is in our understanding of it. That God's not just kind of buying us in some impersonal way, but he's buying us as part of his love for us. And, and you know, like Isaiah, I guess, you know, he is giving his blood precious blood of an unblemished, perfect lamb. And he's getting us. He's getting us. But what a value that puts on us. So redemption is a personal 
and it's passionate. So the third thing is about the power of redemption. Jesus died to buy us out of slavery to the old life. He died to buy us out of our slavery to Uh, to our sinful way of living and of thinking, of being in the world, of being uh, subject to the world of sickness and death. Jesus died to buy us out of that. And that means we don't owe that old life anything. We're not beholden to it. We don't have to live in that way of living and thinking, that empty way of living anymore. A kind of... uh, I was thinking about this and, and remembering uh, the Only Fools and Horses. Um, uh, I guess most of you are familiar with Only Fools and Horses, a sitcom uh, comedy about uh, Dell and his younger brother, Rodney. And there's this bit where Rodney, um, he gets married and goes off on honeymoon and comes back to work. And then he rocks up at Dell's flat and, uh, and says, oh, yeah, what, what's for tea? And, uh, and, and Dell says this to him. He says, can I say something to you? Can I give you a piece of advice that may hold you in good stead in, you know, in the future? And uh, Rodney says, yeah, go on then. And Dell says, it's just that, well, how can I put it? You don't live here anymore. At which point Rodney's eyes kind of go wide and he suddenly remembers he's married now and he runs off. Well, can I say something to you this morning? Can I give you a piece of advice that may hold you in good stead in the future? It's just that, well, how can I put it? You don't live here anymore. That old way of living, that fruitless, empty existence, that line of Adam, you don't live there anymore. The whole purpose about being redeemed is we don't live there anymore. We're not of the line of Adam. We're not living a life handed down by our ancestors and our forefathers. We belong to Christ. When a slave has been bought by out of his master's slavery, he doesn't have to do what the master says anymore. When a prisoner has been set free, he doesn't have to hang around in the prison anymore. How Peter puts, you don't have to live here anymore. He says, live your lives as strangers here. You don't belong. You don't live here anymore. It means that any response we make to that line of Adam is entirely voluntary. We don't have to. There's no imperative. There's no imperative. We don't have to live there anymore. Now, let's be honest. We still live in this world which where people around us have got different values, where we're still human and we still have a sinful human nature, where there is still an enemy, the devil, who tries to tempt us. But here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, about the difference. He says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's why we're speaking about this. This is why we're talking about having the right message brings the right results. We need to understand we are not beholden to sin and sinfulness anymore. If we are in Christ, we are free from that way of living. Our position and our relationship with the world around us has changed. 
You've probably, uh, you might well have heard the, the sort of um, illustration before, which I think is really relevant here about um, in, in kind of parts of Asia where they use elephants to, to kind of grind millstones, you know, and they're attached with chains to, and they kind of go round and round and round to pull this millstone for years and years and years. And, and, and what tends to happen is then when, you know, they get old and they're, they're kind of set free and the chains are taken off, Actually, because they're so conditioned to going around in circles, and because by doing it, they've created such a rut in the ground, even once the chain's gone, they still keep on going around in the same circles because it's what they've become used to. And we can do that as well. It's like prisoners. Now, sometimes you hear, don't you, about people who've been in prison for a long time, and when they are released, they struggle to cope with the, the freedom because they've become so kind of institutionalized, so used to just not having freedom. And, and you know, sometimes people think of the church as an institution, but it's really important that we do not become institutionalized. As Christians, we cannot be institutionalized. There is something about being a Christian which means that we are in a permanent state of change. We are part of a growing kingdom. We are part of an advancing church. And when we stop changing, and when we stop growing, and when we just go round and round in circles stuck in a rut, no matter how long we've been a Christian, then something has gone wrong because we've been taken out of the old life and brought into a new one, a new line where change is happening. For me, this has just been kind of one of the most liberating things when I became a Christian. When I read that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, and when I really got my head around this message of of being brought out of the old life, it was so liberating to, to know I don't have to give in to that temptation anymore. I don't have to live that way anymore. That's what this means. I can change. I can be different. Even now, just reminding myself, I can be different. I don't have to put up with this rut that I am stuck in. I don't have to go through the motions like this. Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. There's a similar thing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And this really expresses the fact that we've been taken out of an old life, but we've brought, been brought into a new one, a new line. And it's like, you know, to, to think of the, the kind of illustration of uh, uh, going to a pawnbroker. It's like taking something to the pawnbroker and losing it because we don't have the resources to buy it back. And the Lord Jesus comes along and pays the price and buys back the item. But now he is the owner. He is the owner. And he gives it to us to look after. You know, it's just like we've been through with the dedication this morning. He's saying this is a precious gift from God. But actually, we're just stewards of it. Really, she belongs to God. He is the ultimate owner. We belong to God. And this is really important if we kind of remember the context of, of what Peter is writing to. These people these, uh, who are being persecuted and this temptation to stop being different from those around and just be the same and just to fit in with the crowd. Well, you know what? We can be different because we have a different owner. We are a part of a different line. 
It's a bit like in the, you know, in the, in the 1980s where Mrs. Thatcher and the, the government there brought in the, uh, the right to buy your council house. You know, you could buy your, your own council house. You could walk down a street and you could see who had bought their council house because the doors were different or suddenly they had PVC windows in it because the owner was different. You know, all the ones that belonged to the council looked exactly the same. But you could see the ones where actually this house has got a different owner now. We can be different because we have a different owner. And what the, uh, Paul says there in, in, uh, in that verse in Titus is that God is after a people. God is after a people um, that we have been redeemed, not just to belong to God, but to be part of a community. So in other words, it's impossible to be individualistic as a, a Christian. You know, that, that's the way of thinking, I know best, isn't it? One of the great things about uh, dedication that we've had this morning is that actually there's something as a church family and saying, you know, we're all part of this thing. I know best and all about me belong to the line of Adam. So church is really important, you know, being part of a gospel community. Let me just read one more verse from the Bible and then we're going to pray. In Revelation chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10, the, the living creatures there sing this, you are worthy to take the scroll. This is about Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased from, for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna respond to Jesus as our Redeemer. And there's a number of ways in which I'm going to ask us to pray this morning. I wonder whether we can just bow our heads. Well, first of all, it's really important that I give you this opportunity that actually, if you are here this morning, and you've never heard this message before, you've never responded before to this offer of a changed life, you've never responded to Jesus before to ask him to be your saviour, to be your redeemer. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. How am I going to do that? I'm going to ask you, if that's you, if you want to do that, you're sitting here this morning and you think I'm in that old life and I want to be in a different way of living where I belong to Jesus instead of doing what seems right to me. I'm just going to ask you while everyone else has their heads bowed just to raise your hand. It's really important that we do this. It's important for ourselves that we acknowledge it. But it's really important that we reflect the fact that what Jesus did on the cross was incredibly public and incredibly open. So I'm going to ask you to do that. If that's you, if you want to do that, I'm just going to give you the opportunity this morning. We'll move on and pray for some other things. Okay. I feel like it's also important this morning to give people an opportunity who maybe feel like, yeah, you know, I, I, I know that I've been bought by Christ. I know that I've been redeemed. I've given my life to him. But recognize that the way I've been living my life has been that empty way of life has been 
in the, the line of Adam and not in the line of Christ. And all you need to do this morning is to say sorry to God and to ask him to forgive you. And it's the Bible promises when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and does forgive us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So just going to give you a, a, a short moment to do that where you are. And I'm going to pray for us all. Father, I want to thank you for your offer of forgiveness. I want to thank you for this incredible uh, truth that the blood of Jesus has brought us out of an old way of living and brought us into a new, incredible life. And Lord, where we've continued in that old vein, where we've continued going round in circles, even where the chain's been cut, where we've continued to be institutionalized and set by human routines and regulations, Lord, we want to ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness, Lord. And Lord, I want to pray that you would renew our thinking. Lord, I want to pray that right now you would be rewiring our thinking so that the truth of what we have heard this morning and what we have read about would be uppermost and central in our thinking, Lord God, that we know more, that we wouldn't listen to that old voice that used to call us, that used to shout our name and we used to come. Lord, I pray that we would become deaf to that shout, that we would choose to reject it in the name of Jesus. Lord, that actually we'd start listening for your voice, to hear what you're saying, to follow your call. Lord, that as a group of people, Lord God, that we would reflect the redemption that has taken place. Thank you, Lord. There's one final thing I want to do this morning and it's something we we sometimes do in our uh, discovery bible studies in our cell groups and ask people to think about somebody you know who needs to hear this message you think of somebody you know who is the epitome of an empty way of life who's making themselves so busy just so that they're not confronted with how shallow their existence is or who's trapped in a circle of frustration and depression and being under the circumstances and being overwhelmed or being the tail and not the head. And let's pray for those people. Father, we bring these people to you. We thank you that you came, as a, to be, Lord Jesus, to be the ransom for many, that you came to redeem Lord, people from every nation, tribe and tongue. And so, Lord God, with these people that you've brought to mind, we bring them to you, Lord God, and pray that you would help us to share the message of redemption with them, to say there is another way, that you don't have to go around in circles forever and ever. There is more to life than this. Lord, pray that you would help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.